Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to compare the tax outcomes of investing in property or shares. Many people are attracted to borrowing to invest in property because of the negative gearing benefits. That is, the income loss that an investment property generates help you reduce the amount of tax that you pay on other taxable income, such as salary wages uh, and business income and so forth. However, investing in shares also offers some unique tax advantages as well. So I thought it'd be interesting to quantify and compare the tax outcomes of investing in these two main asset classes to really investigate whether negative gearing is all that. You know, are are people overemphasizing the benefit of of negative gearing and uh, how much does imputation credits and so forth help share investors? So before I get into that comparison, let's just talk about the tax characteristics of both share share market and also property investing. So let's start with shares first. Uh, and the first notable uh, tax consequence or characteristic of investing in shares is Australia's imputation system, which was introduced by the Hawke-Keating government back in 1987, so it's been around for a while, and it really is unique to Australia. And essentially, the imputation system seeks to avoid double taxation of corporate profits, and it does that by giving shareholders a credit uh, called a franking credit or an imputation credit uh, for the tax that the company has already paid. So let me give you a a very short example. If a listed company makes a profit of $100, it'll pay a flat tax rate of 30% on that profit, so $30. And so its profit after tax will be $70. If it pays that profit out as a dividend to shareholders, the shareholders will receive the $70 in cash. Plus also attached to that dividend is a franking credit, a tax credit for the $30. Therefore, if the shareholder goes and lodges their personal tax return and they have no other income, uh, they will get a refund of the franking credit, the the $30 that the corporate, the company had already paid, meaning the shareholder ultimately then receives the full $100, being the $70 cash dividend plus the tax refund of the $30. And that's how imputation works and franking credits work in Australia and seeking to, as I said, avoid the double taxation of corporate profits. Therefore, investing in Australian shares which pay franking credits is is particularly attractive to taxpayers that have low tax rates, such as super funds, uh, family trusts, if they've got uh, adult beneficiaries that they can distribute to, um, individuals with uh, very low or minimal taxable incomes, you know the benefit is that you get a you're going to enjoy the full benefit of those franking credits, and even if you are paying the highest marginal tax rate, it means that on fully franked dividend income, all you're going to pay is 17% tax, because 30% is already being paid. If you're paying 47% in the dollar, then the difference obviously is 17%. So it's still quite attractive. If you invest in international shares uh, and Australia has a tax treaty with a country where the shares are listed, uh, you may also enjoy some foreign tax credits, um, but they're uh, they're not nearly as generous as the Australian system. 
So that's the good news. That that is the franking credits. Of course, there's always bad news. So capital gains tax will be a consequence of what hopefully will be a consequence of investing in shares. Uh, And if you hold the shares for more than 12 months, obviously you'll be entitled to a 50% capital gains discount, which means that you only pay tax on uh, half of the net capital gain. Uh, And as a rule of thumb, uh, essentially you can just quantify that by, say, 25% of the the net capital gain, uh, because uh, really if you pay 47%, a tax rate of 47%, and you get a 50% reduction, then your ultimate tax is going to be 23.5%, being half of the 47% amount. So as a rule of thumb, uh, for people to estimate capital gains tax liabilities, you know, if the net capital gain is $100, just multiple, just uh, take a quarter of that, $25, your capital gains tax liability is going to be le- less than that, but that's a sort of broad way of, of estimating it. Perhaps the biggest advantage of investing in shares from a capital gains tax perspective is twofold. Firstly, you can progressively sell down shares uh, to, to minimise your capital gains tax liabilities. And secondly, you can no- nominate which parcel of shares that you're selling. So firstly, uh, let's talk about progressively selling down. The benefit is that you can gradually sell down and spread your capital gain over multiple tax years. Um, and depending on your tax position, you might be able to actually eliminate any capital gains tax by doing that. So, you know, fl- shares are quite flexible in allowing you to do that and really helps manage the capital gains tax liability. Um, when selecting the uh, parcel of shares that you're selling, um, you can decide which parcel, you know, which parcel you bought at which time. Um, in order to minimise your capital gains tax liability. So um, there's different strategies here, first in, first out, last in, first out, or you know the, the, the parcel with the highest cost base to minimise your, your CGT liability. Um, in any case, it's something that, that uh, you know, shares uh, gives your holistic accountant uh, much more flexibility to sort of advise you on how to proactively minimise your taxation liabilities. And so that's a uh, that's a real benefit there. Of course, there's other deductions that you can claim with respect to investing in shares, particularly if you borrow to invest. Of course, the interest that you pay in respect to those borrowings will be tax deductible, just like it is with property. Um, therefore, it is possible to negatively gear a share portfolio, although I would typically caution people against doing that. Uh, and certainly not borrowing to the same extent as that we would do so with property, uh, mainly because share markets have twice the volatility rate as as Australian property, so it's uh, a little bit more risky to do that. If you incur any expenses that help you generate income or capital gains from investing in shares, such as purchasing share newsletters or research, uh, financial advice fees, those sorts of things, uh, of course, you'll be able to claim a tax action for those expenses. Um, and I've got a list of expenses uh, for share investors. There's a link in the, the blog note, blog and the show notes, of course. Okay, so that's it for share investors. Uh, let's talk about property investors. And of course, the, the well-publicized negative gearing benefits associated with borrowing to invest in property. And essentially, negative gearing means that you can, if the investment makes a loss, 
an income loss, you're permitted to offset that loss against other taxable income, as, as such as salary and wages, business income, and so forth, thereby reducing the amount of tax that you pay on your overall taxable income. So, for example, if your investment property generates, say, $30,000 of gross rental income, of course, there's going to be expenses to pay. So let's assume they're about $8,000. Um, uh, and then if you've borrowed to invest, let's assume that your interest is about $60,000. So 30 minus 8 minus 60 it results in a $38,000 loss. If you're on the highest marginal tax rate of 47%, your negative gearing benefit will be around about $18,000, so 47% of the $38,000 loss, uh, which means then your after-tax cost to hold that property will be around around $20,000. So that's how negative gearing benefits work, uh, and that's sort of how you calculate or estimate them. And of course, uh, they defray the cost of holding on to a property. So, you know, a, a benefit earlier on is... is uh, a tax concession in the early years is, is worth a lot more than um, any concessions that might occur 20 years from now. Um, of course, you still have to pay capital gains tax, just like I described with uh, investing in shares. The biggest difference, however, with property is that you can't realistically gradually sell down a property. It's kind of all or nothing. Therefore, your entire capital cap capital gain will be crystallized in one year. So there's not much you can do uh, with regards to minimizing capital gains tax liabilities. Now, of course, I should mention that paying capital gains tax isn't actually a bad thing. It means that you've actually made a gain. Uh, and whilst you might pay 23.5% of that gain in tax, you get to keep the remaining 76.5% of that gain. So, of course, you should always try and minimize the, your taxation liabilities. But at the end of the day, even if you pay a hell of a lot of capital gains tax, you're keeping uh, three more than three quarters of the overall gain after tax basis, which is a pretty good outcome, I would have thought. Now, of course, there's some other taxes that are unique to property investors. So the first one is stamp duty. Of course, it's a one-off cost when you first purchase the property. Uh, in most states, that's that costs around about 4% of the property's value. Uh, that is for a property worth about a million dollars, uh, except for Victoria, where it costs almost 6%. Uh, and uh, I'm going to resist the temptation to make a comment on the Victorian government's woeful fiscal management uh, and whether it deserves to charge 50% more stamp duty than other states. Uh, I will resist that temptation. <laughs> uh, uh, thirdly, there's land tax. Uh, land tax is levied on the value of uh, an investor's land holdings uh, on 31 December each year. Uh, each state has a land tax three threshold. And in fact, I've uh, done an episode or an ep dedicated episode specifically to land tax and um, uh, drew comparisons uh, between the, the main states in regards to that. So uh, that was in August 21, so if you want to find that um, that episode, uh, all you have to do is just Google Pro Solution Land Tax, uh, and the episode will uh, should pop up in Google. Um, of course, there's some deductions that you can enjoy as a property investor. Um, one of the good ones is depreciation. Uh, you know, if you make improvements to your investment property, you'll be able to depreciate them over the useful life, uh, and that's good because quite often we fund improvements via borrowings. 
Um, so the incremental interest cost isn't that material, um, but we get a, a good non-cash tax deduction for uh, that expense and that improves our overall cash flow. So it could be an attractive one. It's not something you're going to go out and chase, of course, but it just, a, again, a positive consequence. Um, and then uh, there's a whole bunch of other expenses naturally that are tax deductible for property investors. And of course, I have the link in the show notes and the, the blog on the, the website for a list there. Okay, so anyone that's listened to this uh, podcast for any length of time knows that I love to dive in the numbers uh, and look at what the evidence tells us. Uh, and therefore, what I did is financially modelled the impact of taxation has on both property and share investment portfolios. Um, let's talk about the outcomes of that. Now, because most uh, property investors borrow the full cost of the, the property, that is they negative the gear, the impact of taxation on property investors is overall positive. In fact, I worked out it increases an investor's internal return by about 0.6 of a percent per annum. So an internal rate of return uh, increased from 13% without any tax attributes to 136 with tax attributes, around about a 5% improvement. Essentially what that means is that the value of the negative gearing benefits more than outweighs the expense of stamp duty land tax and capital gains tax. Um, and that's because the negative gearing reduces the cash flow required to hold the property. Uh, so it increases the internal rate of return because if, if, all your, if you go and borrow the full cost, your only cash contribution to that investment is the holding costs. And if that negative gearing benefit reduces your holding costs, it has a big impact on the internal rate of return, even though you pay a lot of capital gains tax in 20 years time when you sell the property. Now, when I compared uh, the taxation in a share portfolio, uh, the taxation was overall negative. Uh, mainly because there's no negative gearing benefit. I've assumed that an investor doesn't borrow to invest. Um, and uh, imputation credits do defray some of the taxation cost. But I estimate that the taxation reduces an investor's internal rate of return by around about 15%. So it's positive 5% for property investors, negative 15% drag on portfolio returns for shares. Now, whilst that comparison is realistic because, you know, uh, most investors don't gear into shares, but they do into property, um, it's a little bit unfair because I haven't compared apples with apples. I've compared a geared property portfolio with a, an ungeared share portfolio. So when I compare two fully geared portfolios, uh, the negative gearing into shares increases in investors' rate of return by about 44%. So it's very sensitive to the negative gearing benefits compared to a positive 5% for property. And the reason for that is obviously land tax stamp duty uh, and, and potentially higher capital gains tax as well. But mainly land tax and stamp duty has been the drag on the return there. So it's not really that property investors get a, a big tax break you know, because that tax break is is open to both property and share portfolios. It just means that it's solely due to the gearing, that if I gear into any asset, I'm going to enjoy some negative gearing benefits. And they're actually quite valuable to me as an investor because they do defray some of the holding costs and improve my cash flow in the early years, irrespective of if I've got to pay additional taxes or a large amount of capital gains tax in the long run. 
So as I've concluded in a few episodes now, it's not because of property per se that this thing works quite well. It's really because of the gearing. And instead of it being a property versus shares discussion, as I've said in a a few episodes, it's really a gearing versus no gearing uh, decision. So to sum up then, my analysis does confirm that negative gearing is an attractive consequence of borrowing to invest in property, but of course it's not the reason for it. The sole reason you should invest in property is really to build as much wealth as possible, which really means investing in the right property and any tax benefits as a a result of that are merely a positive consequence of that decision. So that said though, of course it's important that your holistic accountant and tax aware mortgage broker help you maximise any tax benefits, negative gear and benefits associated with those investments. Okay, that's it for this week. Until next week, bye for now.